0: Hey guys, it's Sam Roberts. Thank you for checking out another episode of Not Sam Wrestling. If you'd like to support the show, you can, and if you want, you can do it for free. If you're listening on Spotify, all you have to do is leave a a five-star rating. It really helps us. If you're listening on Apple, you can leave us a five-star rating or a review. Hell, just listening every week is a real, real help. Make sure you're subscribed and you're downloading every single episode Oh. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash not Sam wrestling, where we put videos up from the podcast and all the interviews and stuff that we do for free. You could check out all our videos and everything. And if you're looking for more content and want to subscribe at the next level, you can get an extra episode of not Sam wrestling every single week, as well as, Watch all the shows get recorded live, see video of absolutely everything, join Zoom calls with yours truly, and a lot more over at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. That's right, you can become a shill, a not Sam shill, at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling or... You can just listen to the show. Today on Not Sam Wrestling, we've got an update on Cody Rhodes' injury status, a new Intercontinental champion, what is going on with Paige, and oh yeah, a lot to talk about with John Cena. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host, From New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh, my, my, my. How are we all doing, everybody? Welcome to episode 399, only seven days away from the 400th episode of Not Sam Wrestling. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you all for tuning in, and hopefully you'll be enjoying the show. Uh, I know that I'll be enjoying doing the show. So if the listening experience is anything even remotely close to the hosting experience, what a pleasure this must be for you. Uh, Thanks to everybody who sent in uh, kind words about last week's show uh, and my uh, six-page essay that I ended up writing inspired by the CM Punk MJF storyline. That whole segment, a couple of segments from last week's show. The entire uh, MJF CM Punk New Kayfabe essay is up in video form over at youtube.com notsam wrestling as is my take on uh, Cody Rhodes tearing his peck all, all of those all that from last week's show is up in video form at youtube.com notsam wrestling so if you haven't subscribed yet go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, we'll get into uh, some commentary on that uh, emails from you guys and all that here on the show today uh, by the way the question has been raised now since MJF was not on Dynamite at all last week, and that the interim world title, not tournament, but I guess match, is on. I, I guess after the Battle Royal was won by Kyle O'Reilly, who then lost his match to John Moxley. Moxley will go to Forbidden Door to face Tanahashi, the winner being the interim AEW champion. Uh, but no mention of MJF whatsoever and rumors of, Corporate involvement and whatnot, my opinion hasn't changed. I mean, one iota. Lots, as fast as this wrestling world moves, lots of my opinions get adjusted week to week, but if you want my opinion on what is going on with MJF and everything in AEW, then go ahead and listen to that segment from last week's show because I feel exactly the same way. Now, an update from last week's show is with Cody, of course, uh, we taped last week's show immediately after Hell in a Cell. I would have easily made it the top of the show conversation, but I recorded the uh, post-Hell in a Cell portion of the podcast last so that I wasn't, you know, down in the studio at midnight on a work night trying to make sure that I got a full-length podcast out for you guys. The last thing I ever want to do is rush through this show. But... Point being, right after Hell in a Cell, I came down here, did Twitter spaces with Ryan Popola on the WWE Twitter account, and taped last week's podcast. Since then, uh, of course, the Cody Tornpeck story uh, permeated throughout. It went beyond wrestling, and it was kind of the story, as far as our world, that everybody was talking about. Cody came out and cut one hell of a promo to start Monday Night Raw on Monday, he made reference to wanting to be in the Money in the Bank ladder match. I mean, he was looking up at those briefcases. Seth came out, shook his hand, and, I mean, just beautifully done. It was actually a really good episode of Monday Night Raw on Monday, and they aren't all that great, but, I mean, a lot of what happened on Raw was very kind of newsworthy, uh, uh, surprising in the sense that, like, oh, I didn't see that coming. I loved... Cody leaving and then Seth coming back and getting his heat. Seth is still just the villain's villain, smashing a sledgehammer into the torn pectoral of Cody only days before Cody is scheduled to go into surgery of all the dastardly things one could do. Uh, but Cody, WWE put out an update online that Cody did have successful surgery on Thursday. And they say that uh, he'll be out of action for approximately nine months. Now, uh, I have no idea how long he'll actually be out of action. Believe it or not, I'm not a doctor. I know a lot of you are probably like, I'm assuming that you started as a surgeon and then found your way to wrestling podcasting. But that's not true. I was never a surgeon or a doctor. So I don't have that information. But what I do think is that nine months... There's no way it'll actually last nine months. I think nine months is the longest possible absence that Cody can have. I think this is a classic example of WWE, uh, trying to under promise and over deliver in the sense that they don't want to get anybody's hopes up that Cody will be back sooner than is at all possible. And if we say nine months, then the sooner that Cody gets back, the more impressive it is for him. Uh, a lot of people talked to me after last week's podcast and said they loved the money in the bank scenario. And I have come to the conclusion that there is no doubt in my mind that Cody was going to win the money in the bank briefcase in that match, uh, in whatever it is a month from now. I absolutely think that that was in the cards. And if it were, I, I, I would hope maybe after hearing the podcast, that July 4th on Monday Night Raw would be when they decided to pull the trigger and Cody announces himself as going to the main event of WrestleMania with whoever the champion is because that's when he's going to cash in his briefcase. Would have been beautiful. Part of me still wants it to happen. I can't let go. I'll never let go, Jack. I'll never let go, Cody. I want Cody on some level. Not. I don't fully want this to happen. But on some level, I want Cody to show up to the Money in the Bank match with his arm in a sling, and I want him to win the briefcase. Now, look, there is a great possibility that if Cody were to show up to the Money in the Bank match with a sling on, then he would really have to. Number one, that would be even crazier because it's one thing to fight a match with your pec already torn completely off the bone which sucks, but as every doctor said, you're not going to injure it anymore. It's quite another to go through uh, all of the ordeal and expense that surgery is only to risk recovery by fighting a match three weeks after surgery. I don't see it happening. I also worry that if that were to happen, it will go one of two ways. Number one, Cody would even be more of a legend because you have to realize that based on how he was being treated leading up to hell in a cell with the Cody clock and everything. And based on the fact that WWE knows how much Cody fighting with a torn pack affected the audience and, and how we all reacted to it. The Cody comeback story is going to be a barn burner. The Cody comeback story, in my opinion is going to be on that list. The, Triple H, Beautiful Day, the John Cena returning at the Royal Rumble in 2008 at Madison Square Garden early. Like all these, everything that Seth Rollins returned should have been. All of these great return from injury stories, I 100% believe that Cody, however they do it, it Cody's name will be on that list and, and Cody's going to come back hotter than ever. That said, if he were to come back at money in the bank just to win that match, even though his arm is in a sling, then it would be like, okay, wait. It's like, you're too sick to go to school, but you're still going to take the lead role in the play? If you're too sick to do your homework, shouldn't you be too sick to be the quarterback of the football team? Shouldn't you be too, wait, you just came in for lunch period because you knew we were doing something fun? I feel like, if Cody only showed up I've I, I, that the money in the bank with a sling with his arm in a sling may be a bridge too far that may be the one thing where the audience was like yeah we were here for this before but not not now no you've got to let go and it would it, and I worry that it would feel like one of those things where it's like we won't let go of this plan and the audience would be like yeah I don't know if I can buy this anymore Cody winning money in the bank with his arm in a sling it would it would either be the most excellent thing ever, or it would be so bad that it would take away all the goodwill that Helena Cell added to what Cody was already building. So execution would be crucial. I still want because it's such a bummer that Cody's gone. You know, I my pitch for the summer would have absolutely been have Cody win the Money in the Bank. Briefcase, and then go to SummerSlam with Cody Rhodes versus John Cena. Can you imagine that? Cody starts his road to WrestleMania, and his first opponent is John Cena at SummerSlam. First big opponent, obviously, wouldn't be his first opponent, but be huge. And it would be it could be babyface versus babyface. It could be this moment where it's like, is Cody really gonna be the guy? Is he gonna be that top guy? Well, he's got John Cena now. It I could be great. But alas, it's not meant to be, so it won't happen. Instead, um, well, I'll talk about what could happen in the Money in the Bank later in the show today. Um, But let's see. Nine months from now, July, August, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, puts us right at WrestleMania. I think there's no way Cody's not in the Royal Rumble. There's no way he's not back in January. And I would hope that it's even before that. If I know Cody like I think I know Cody, and by that I mean I've psychoanalyzed Cody in my head because it's not like I know him that well in person. I think he's going to want to do Cena numbers for recovery. I think that, that Cena's Royal Rumble return is the stuff of legends. He came back early. I think I think Cody at this point in his career on this day... He sees clearly. I think that Cody wants to wants to get that. Cody wants to be the top guy. And I, I think that's that he wants this to be another way that he proves that he's ready to be that guy. So we'll see if he can get it done. Um and we'll talk about John Cena in a minute. But uh I also wanted to talk about on Raw. A lot of people were talking about the judgment day breakup uh with Edge, Finn Balor. Damian Priest, Rhea Ripley, and all three of them turning on Edge. Uh, I did not see the turn coming. I think that so many people didn't see the turn coming. And this happens. You know, we talked about this a little bit with the uh, MJF, is it a work thing? But it's interesting because I noticed this when Rhea, Priest, and Balor turned on Edge. There is a thing that happens amongst like hardcore wrestling fans like me where if you really don't see it coming... Like, it's one thing if you don't see it coming, but you kind of knew it was a possibility. If you really don't see it coming, and as it's happening, you cannot fully determine the logic of the storyline that is going to follow this, people act like it's a negative thing that just happened. That because nobody saw the possibility, even people... As you know, if you listen to this podcast, I said on Sunday night, because people were like, oh, this was probably a last minute thing. I mean, it was very obvious to me at the pay-per-view on Sunday, that last shot, that last visual of the Judgment Day standing over Finn Balor. It was obvious to me that they were bringing Finn Balor in. What was not obvious to me was that once Finn Balor got in, they were going to turn on Edge. But when it happened, I was like, "Okay, I'm here for this." Now I think I think there's a couple of things going on with that. I I personally believe, and I haven't spoken to anybody involved, but I personally believe that there's a, a good possibility that this had to do with the fact that their top babyface, right, or at least one of their top babyfaces, but pretty much their top babyface, Cody Rhodes, just went out with an injury, and so they are left with a summer and possibly a fall with no top good guy. So I think that might've gone into it, into turning edge and and going like, okay, we can't have you be a heel anymore. Uh, I personally don't buy the internet report that they wanted to go a supernatural direction and edge didn't want to do it. So they had the group turn on him. I, you know, that's not, I don't, I don't personally believe that's a thing. I believe that that was fed to dirt sheets, but I don't believe that that's true. Um, What I believe is that a lot of people that were like, this is dumb. That's the translation of, I don't get it. I don't get it is not bad. As long as you eventually get it. And I know like WWE is completely hit and miss with that stuff. Sometimes I don't get it turns into this amazing, like, oh my God, spin my head around. I had no idea this is what was happening. And other times I don't get it is, oh, neither did they, because we're just never going to acknowledge this and move forward. Um, I don't think this is that. I think Edge takes a lot of pride in his work and Edge, uh, especially at this point in his career, takes a lot of pride in the stories that are told. And as I was watching that, while I didn't see it coming at all, I saw the Finn Balor thing coming, not the turn coming. uh, I realized what was left after it, right? That, the point, theoretically, of the Judgment Day is to couple people with Edge to elevate them. That Damian Priest being taken under Edge's wing should elevate Damian Priest into a much bigger villain with Edge as a villain. Same for Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley turning heel and being paired with Edge immediately puts Rhea into that conversation of kind of upper echelon, or at least upper as compared to where she was before. And Finn Balor too. Finn Balor's a little bit of a different scenario because Finn Balor's no rookie. Finn Balor's a former Universal Champion. Finn Balor's a multi-time NXT Champion. Like Finn Balor has won the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania. Finn Balor is a star. He's a star's star. But he wasn't doing a ton leading into this thing. You know, Finn Balor's the type of guy that even when he doesn't have a ton of story going on, you still tag him up with AJ Styles and the audience knows they're an unstoppable team. I think that having the three of them turn on Edge actually elevates the three of them immediately. I think that instead of it looking like Finn Balor, Damian Priest, and Rhea Ripley are bathing in Edge's afterglow, it actually makes it so that the Judgment Day is not a lesser group than it was before. If anything, because they're they're feuding with Edge, they're probably a bigger group than they were before. So now you've got a scenario where someone like Damian Priest, it's not, hey, Damian Priest is doing well. He's teaming with Edge. It's, hey, Damian Priest is doing well. He's got a singles match against Edge. Now, I don't know if this will mean that Edge's character will now have to go and and try to uh try to get redemption. You know, try to get AJ Styles back on his side, try to I don't know cuz clearly he's going to need a partner, right? What I do know is I think this eventually leads to Edge versus Finn Bálor. And potentially Babyface, you think you know me, Edge. And I do believe that he'll go back to his old music, eventually. But Babyface, you think you know me, Edge, versus the demon Finn Balor. And if we're looking at Edge versus Balor, you could do Edge versus Balor at SummerSlam, probably. You could probably do Priest versus Edge at Money in the Bank. And then Edge versus Balor at SummerSlam. Now you've got great matches for Priest and Balor. You've got Edge back in a prime spot, and it feels like everybody wins. Gunther's winning on SmackDown. I've got to believe that people are, are very keen on what Gunther's doing. I mean, you look at this guy, and he got himself into shape. He's barely recognizable. He looks about 20 years younger than he used to. He looks like a kid out there, except the type of kid that will beat the shit out of you if you walk on a school property. You know, that Gunther looks like a beast getting those drop kicks in and everything. And he won the Intercontinental Championship. I think it's a beautiful day. I think that's what people got to remember when they're uh, getting annoyed at name changes and whatnot. It's like the gimmick hasn't changed. I think it's an improvement with Ludwig, the former Marcel, with Gunther. I think that I, I think he's awesome. So I like him with Gunther. Um, all the red and everything, the ring general, I think it's all good. Uh, and, and the fact that we're now in a position where Walter, who everybody always said, ah, he's not going to want to move to the States. He'll never be on the main roster. He's just there for NXT. He'll never be on the main roster. He's now the WWE intercontinental champion. The same title that was held by Bret the Hitman Hart, Shawn Michaels, Jeff Jarrett, Honky Tonk Man, Ultimate Warrior, Texas Tornado is now Cody Rhodes, The Miz is now being held by the former Walter Gunther. I think that's great. I love it. And then lastly, thinking about this week's news, uh, Paige announced she was on her way out of the WWE. Uh, Paige, uh, of course, had a neck injury several years ago at this point. I mean, before COVID. And it, for all intents and purposes, we thought, ended her in-ring career. But I guess she's uh, stayed under contract with WWE, and WWE just hasn't really used her on television at all. So she made the announcement on Twitter that her contract was going to be up on July 7th, uh, which is about a month from now, maybe a little less than that, maybe a week or so less than that, uh, and that she wanted to wrestle again. She said that specifically. Uh, I think that this is Paige putting up the bat signal so that uh all the other wrestling promoters can see that this is something that she wants to do. And you know, I look, it's hard, right? I think that and I talked about this a little bit on uh on Renee Young uh, Renee Paquette Renee Young. Renee Paquette and Misha Tate's Serious XM show. The question came up about the responsibility that the WWE had in keeping Cody Rhodes out of the ring. And my response was that that's really not my decision to make, that as a fan, I have to trust the performers and the people who are responsible for the the performers to not put those performers in situations that they should not be in. I mean, part of the thing about wrestling is that it's supposed to look dangerous. It's supposed to look like a scenario that you would never want to find yourself in. So when it comes to Paige, so I I said I I felt that there was no responsibility on anybody to keep Cody out of a wrestling ring unless Cody had to be kept out of a wrestling ring. Same thing with Paige. Should Paige be returning to a, a ring? I don't know. You would have to ask Paige's doctor. The only person that I would care to hear their opinion on that is Paige's doctor because if Paige's doctor said... She's good to wrestle again. I'd love to see Paige wrestle again. If Paige's doctor said, yeah, she really should not wrestle again. She could paralyze herself. I would say, I don't want to see Paige wrestle again that badly. I'd rather her be able to, you know, move. I don't want her to suffer permanent damage. But if that's not the risk that we thought it was, then guess what? I'm cool with it. I think that's kind of, as fans, the call we all need to have, unless we are medically trained professionals. Um, where could Paige end up? Well, clearly she could always just end up back in the UK, right? I mean, fighting with my family is all about that. Her her whole family is in the wrestling promotion business and I'm sure she could bring in a lot of money for her family. That said, she could probably bring in more money for her family by working for a much larger promotion and just sending them some money. Um, could she end up in AEW? Certainly, you know. I I I don't know that AEW is on the hiring frenzy that they were even a couple of months ago. But I do see a lot of value in having Paige come over. You know, the idea that I mean, she don't forget, she's very young. I think she got signed to WWE and she's like 19 or 20 years old or something like that. So she's very young still. You know, this isn't like a legend coming over. This is somebody who, if they're healthy, could theoretically still have a lot left in the tank. We don't know. And also, we don't know how she's been training. We don't know if she's been rolling around in the ring just to kind of get the rust off and everything. We don't know. But, I mean, AEW could always use some star power in their division. I don't know where else she would end up. You know, I don't see her ending up in Impact. Paige is a very big act. Fortunately and unfortunately for Paige, you know, when you command that kind of uh, audience and, you know, inversely, conversely dollar amount, uh, I think that you, it's a good thing and a bad thing. If you can get paid, it's a great thing because you get paid a lot. But there's not as many people that will pay you a lot as there are that will pay you a little. I don't think Paige should be wrestling for a little bit of money. I think Paige should be wrestling for a lot of money. It's just going to be a matter of finding somebody that will pay her a lot of money. And that's not to say anything personal about her. That's to say, in this day and age, there's only a handful of people that are paying folks a lot of money to wrestle. I don't see her an impact. You know, New Japan doesn't have a women's division. You know, I am Shimmer or whatever. But I feel like it's got to be, if it's not WWE, and it clearly isn't, then it's either AEW, or if you're going to run the indies, you might as well run the indies that your family are in charge of, right? So, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see on that. Um, but we were talking about John Cena earlier, and I when it comes to wrestling news that made social media, uh, I don't think anything hit me the way John Cena's video hit me, the John Cena video that went up there. I mean, if this, if this didn't pull on your heartstrings you may not have a heart. This is the type of video that I watch. And if somebody that I know is cynical about it, I will probably judge them for the rest of their life. I'll probably think to myself, oh, I know a person who is a soulless individual. I'm gonna watch out for that person because they might be some kind of serial killer. They clearly have nothing on the inside. I don't know how their blood keeps pumping because they strike me as heartless. See, the Wall Street Journal posted this uh, uh, article about this family in the Ukraine, or in Ukraine, I guess, not the Ukraine, they have family in Ukraine. And they had to flee because of the war that's going on over there. And they had to kind of keep moving and moving. And they have a son who's, uh, uh, I think he's got uh, Down syndrome, but he's nonverbal. And they couldn't, he couldn't understand why they had to keep moving. And he certainly didn't understand the gravity of the situation. So the family told him that they had to keep moving because they were trying to find John Cena. And when they told him that, he listened to them and was able to retreat Ukraine. And, and, you know, they were able to save their lives because of that. Um, and they ended up, I believe, in Amsterdam. John Cena heard this story via an article or something like that. And, and there's a, a video of this. He jumped on a plane, a couple of days off. So he jumped on a plane and then jumped in a car and drove to where this family was staying in Amsterdam and with his gear on, surprised the family and surprised the kid and gave the kid the shirt off his back and the hat off his head and spent the afternoon with this kid. And I mean, number one, it's like, who would do that? You know, he didn't, have to do that he could have sent an 8x10 he could have sent him a, a, a video that he made on his phone a cameo or something no he jumped on a plane went to the kids house and like when you see the visual of all that and, and and just watching it happen you're like John just just changed these people's lives forever and it's the only reason that he did it you know there are people who will do good things for the for the social credit of it all. And that is so clearly not John Cena. You're talking about a guy who holds the world's record for the amount of make a wishes that he's completed, far more than anyone would ever be asked to. And he never talked about it. Nobody ever knew it was happening until after. It's just amazing looking at what this guy does and 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 you and you watch and you go. I mean, he's just the greatest, just the greatest. And then that question started creeping into my mind, which has creeped into my mind before. And we've talked about greatest this or greatest that on the show before. We've talked about my theory that Bret Hart is the Babe Ruth of WWE and that, that Undertaker is my favorite character. And, and Shawn Michaels is my favorite wrestler and Stone Cold Steve Austin is my favorite all around this. And, and, then the the question of GOAT comes up, greatest of all time. And where John Cena fits in that. As we see this, this commercial that John Cena is coming back to Monday Night Raw on June 27th before the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. And you're like, oh, I wonder what John Cena's been up to. And you see what he's been up to, changing people's lives. You go, man, like, I love this guy. My appreciation for what he did in the ring has only grown since he's been gone. And now seeing what he does outside the ring, how do you not have respect for him? But where does he rank when it comes to calling him the GOAT, right? I mean, I think that that most of us who are 25 and older, we wouldn't believe that the GOAT was performing in our lifetime. The GOAT is the is the stuff of legends, especially in professional wrestling. And maybe, maybe performed in our lifetime, but when John Cena was performing, I should say, goats had already been established. The idea of there being another was never presented. Never really thought to be taken seriously. And when John Cena was at the top of his game, he was being booed in arenas. He was people were were Uh, claiming Cena fatigue when all that was going on. But I started thinking about it differently. At the same time, the same day that I saw this video this week, uh, I was actually having a conversation with a WWE superstar who will remain nameless and we were just kind of shooting the shit or whatever and he was like, do you have like a Mount Rushmore of like, you know, wrestlers, WWE superstars? And I went, I don't know. You know, I, I guess it changes all the time though. It's like, I, 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 what are the, what are the qualifications for it? It's so, I, I would want to put Shawn Michaels on there. I'd want to put Bret Hart on there, but would they both go on there? Do they both fill the same role? I'd want to put Austin on there, but now you've got Shawn, Bret, Austin. This is basically just the Attitude Era. Wouldn't you have to put Rock up there too? I, it's just so specific to your tastes. And he said to me, he said, well, I think you got to, put it in terms of top guys and kind of ranking it that way. And it was like, you know, you're right. You're right. It becomes much less of a conversation. Mount Rushmore is not supposed to be about who your favorite is. It's supposed to be kind of a universal, right? I mean, it's tough to even figure out who the presidents should be on Mount Rushmore because we have had many presidents since Mount Rushmore was finished. But it's not about who your favorite is. It's about finding some way, if you want to really have the conversation, you would have to have uh, some way to, to, to make it qualitative, right? And that's where the top guy conversation comes in. Because there haven't been that many top guys and especially top guys with real consistency. Stone Cold Steve Austin is, I mean, probably my favorite wrestler, WWE superstar of all time. But when you think about his run on top, basically three years, right? Kind of WrestleMania 14, say, you know, 97, 90, whatever that was, 97 probably. But WrestleMania 14 until WrestleMania 18. But but by the time, even at WrestleMania 18, he wasn't exactly that top guy. I guess, you know, his last match was 19, obviously. You know, he did his rock matches at 15, 17, and 19. But realistically, Austin was the, the guy for three years, more or less. Maybe four. When you go top guy, three and a half. When you go top guy, you're thinking the top guy is the individual who is getting people to buy tickets to that building in big, big numbers, who is getting people to buy pay-per-views in big, big numbers at the time. Obviously, that's not a factor anymore. But it's somebody that you know, if they're not on the show. Less people are going to the show. This is the guy that is that has got the company running on his back. And historically, there have been those guys. Right now, it's Roman Reigns, for sure. I think Cody is being groomed to be that guy. But right now, it's Roman Reigns. And Roman Reigns was being conditioned to be that top guy for a while. But through all the WrestleMania main events... You know, I can't say that Roman was for sure the top guy. I could say in the last three years, Roman has been the top guy. And that's part of why I question, and if he wants to, you know, go away for a while, he wants to go away for a while. But I question from a strictly fan perspective, why now that he finally is truly a top guy, why now Roman would want to slow down. I feel like now is not the time to slow down. And in order to make it on Rushmore as a top guy, I think you don't slow down at a time like this. The Rock was really only a top guy for two years, if that was the top guy for two years, if that. When you look at The Undertaker, consistency, he's got it in droves. He is probably he is the most consistent star and draw. Over time, maybe in the history of professional wrestling, I mean, nobody has had a run like him. But in terms of being the top guy, that's never really been The Undertaker's bag. There were moments here and there where I guess he was the top guy for a hot second because he was filling in. But The Undertaker was always in that Andre the Giant position, was always in that attraction position. You know, if you want to make a Mount Rushmore of attractions... Andre and The Undertaker are up there and then I'll have a conversation with you. But Mount Rushmore to me is all about top guys. And when you're having a conversation about the GOAT, it's all about top guys. Undertaker wasn't a top guy for more than a few months at a time. I I don't, in my opinion. Bret Hart, maybe a top guy for a year or two. Shawn Michaels was never, Shawn Michaels was like a top guy for months at a time. But that's what I mean. I mean, think like, Shawn Michaels was the top guy at WrestleMania 12, but by WrestleMania 13, The Undertaker had to come in and and fill in for him. He was gone. WrestleMania 14, he was back. WrestleMania 15, he was gone again. So, you know, I would say that you would really have to argue that Shawn spent a ton of time as the top guy. I think when you're looking at top guys, obviously the quintessential one is Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan did something that was unthinkable for 20 years, more, 25 years. Hulk Hogan was a top guy in the WWE from 1984 until, I mean, some would argue 1993, but clearly by 92, the fatigue had set it, you know? I mean, Hogan's run was incredible. Pre-WrestleMania, 83, 84. But WrestleMania was built around Hulkamania. WWE, Hulkamania, WrestleMania, it was all one thing. The merchandising deals, everything. It was all behind what a top guy and a draw Hulk Hogan was. WrestleMania 1, WrestleMania 2 with Bundy, WrestleMania 3 with Andre. Maybe, you know, we could have this conversation later. One of the most important matches of all time. WrestleMania uh, 4, he wasn't even in the main event, but he still posed at the end of it with Macho Man. WrestleMania 5, the Mega Powers Collide. WrestleMania 6, Warrior and Hogan. And you could argue that that's kind of where that first top guy run starts to Peter. You know, he did come back for WrestleMania 7 to save the day. He headlined WrestleMania 8 again, but WrestleMania 8, it was, you know, steroid trials going on. People are fatigued. By WrestleMania 8, for sure, people are fatigued. And the fact that he was still headlining at WrestleMania 9 was probably a mistake in hindsight. However, after that, he went into WCW. And while at first, you know, they were fledgling, by the time the NWO came in, Hogan was top guy again. Even when Nash and Hall were the outsiders, Hollywood Hogan was still the top guy in that company. He was the guy. So from, you know, 96 to 98, 98 probably, 99, whatever, another two, three years as the top guy in WCW. And while, yeah, two or three years wasn't enough for me to put Austin and Rock up there, if you combine that with being really one of the key original top guys of this version of wrestling, then yeah, Ric Flair is on that list. Rick Flair is on that list of being a top guy outside of the WWE. And, and you know, being the guy that Starcade was built around in the 80s and being being the guy that Crockett was built around, the star of wrestling outside of WWE was Rick Flair. He was the name that was synonymous with that title. And there were others, you know, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, a lot of people. And Dusty Rhodes can be in that top guy conversation. But I don't think that Dusty had the consistency that Rick did. And that's why Rick can still take that with him. Once you're that guy, that never goes away. Not that it ever went away for Dusty, but I just think the 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 length of time and the, and the breadth of opponents that Rick had as a top guy puts him in this conversation. But after Hogan and Rick... I would argue that you don't have anybody with the consistency of Hogan and Rick because after that, you have Brett, Sean, Austin, Rock, a little bit of Undertaker. Nobody maintains that top guy spot for more than two to three years for the entire time until WrestleMania 20, I mean, I... You could say 21, but it was really the year between 21 and 22. John Cena takes over and he just, and he rides, baby. He rides the lightning. Now, John Cena came in and he really proved what he could do at WrestleMania 20 in the match with Big Show. But that was the opener. That was the United States Championship match. It was clear that John Cena was connecting in a very special way with the audience But still, it is interesting that you look at the rest of that show and it's like, you know, Hunter and Shawn and Angle and Guerrero and Rock and Sock and Evolution and all this stuff. And it's like, you don't know the bubbling right under the surface is Big Match John. And then John Cena goes to WrestleMania 21 and wins his first world title against JBL. Now, if you really watch that, I think that WWE had their heart set on Batista as the guy. And John Cena as the backup. But I think it was obvious. When you looked at the connection. That was being made. That John Cena. Was the guy. When you start to get into. WrestleMania 22. 23. And the run that John Cena had after it. Of main events. That's where. You get this consistency. Of top guy. That's where John Cena in the afterglow of the Attitude Era, takes a company that quite frankly was trying to figure out exactly what they were. WWE was in a state of reinvention. They couldn't be the Attitude Era company anymore. But how do you go from Stone Cold Steve Austin to Barney the Purple Dinosaur? It's impossible. You can't just, overnight. Especially John Cena, who when the character caught fire, had an edge, had a real edge to it. But then, you know, realized that he had to represent what this new company was becoming. And by the way, he did it. John Cena did it. And you look at those uh, uh, WrestleMania main events that came and and came in in pretty quick uh, succession, one after the other, after the other, uh, 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 leading basically up to, Twenty seven, you know, twenty-one through twenty-seven was pretty much John Cena territory, you know. Twenty-one, you had JBL. Uh twenty-five was the triple threat. Edge versus Big Show versus John Cena. Uh what was it? Twenty three was John Cena versus Shawn Michaels. 24, John Cena versus Triple H versus Randy Orton. 22 was Triple H. I mean, there was a lot. There was a lot there. And, you know, people look at John Cena's run and they can be critical of it because, yeah, he won a lot of matches. And, and, yeah, the Nexus thing sucked. Yep, the Nexus thing sucked. But I think the good that John Cena did on this incredible run as a top guy truly outweighs the bad. I think the thing that John Cena doesn't get credit for is the amount of sacrifice that he made and the level of company guy that he was that most top guys in his position simply are not. Most top guys are protective of their spot most top guys are that's not going to work for me brother most top guys stay on way too long but the thing that that baffles me about john cena is that if you look right he does everything he gets from wrestlemania 20 to wrestlemania 21 he's the world champion but he's still not the world champion WrestleMania 21 to WrestleMania 22, he finally proves he is the guy. 23, he delivers. 24, 25, 26. Now we get to WrestleMania 27. And not only is he stuck in a match against The Miz, who quite frankly at that time was not ready to be champion, but A, he loses the match. And B, The Rock, who's the guest host of WrestleMania, is the one that gets all the glory. Now, I know what you're saying. Yeah, big deal. The only reason that happened is because all's well that ends well. They were building to John Cena getting another WrestleMania main event the next year. And that's true. But what happened the next year? The Rock spent a lot of time on WWE TV, assassinating John Cena's character. The Rock gave a a credence to every criticism that every wrestling fan had of the John Cena character. The Rock made the WWE a very difficult place for John Cena to exist in after The Rock left. And then he beat John Cena. That's unheard of. Do you think any legend is coming in and beating Hulk Hogan? Do you think any legend is coming in and beating Stone Cold? Do you think any legend is coming in and beating Roman Reigns? I'm going to tell you something right now. If The Rock comes back for WrestleMania and he faces Roman Reigns in a match, Roman's going over. Because John Cena is the only top guy I can think of that is so business that even after The Rock assassinated him for a year, he was still okay to go out on his ass because you know what? The company has been there for me. I'm going to be there for the company. No one's there for the company. John is there for the company. It's an honorable thing, dude. A lot of people will probably tell him, don't do that. It's an honorable thing. And guess what? It's not like The Rock had to win because he was clearly better than John Cena. What happened when The Rock and John Cena were in the ring together? I'll tell you what happened. John held his own. Number one, he didn't shake out of his character. Number two, he got the best of The Rock on at least one, if not more, occasions. And that's difficult to do. He held his own against The Rock. He proved what he could do. And I know what you're saying. Big deal, he lost to The Rock. He went to WrestleMania 28 a year after that, and he finally beat him. Okay, okay. So, on his way to finally beating The Rock in the main event of WrestleMania 28, all he has to do is lose at WrestleMania, I'm sorry, at WrestleMania 29. All he has to do is lose to The Rock at WrestleMania 28. Have The Rock just destroy him verbally for a year and then also lose to The Miz at WrestleMania 27 and actually have that pay-per-view go off with him looking like he's a fool. And that's that's gonna make him feel better. Well, I'm sure what makes him feel better is what happened after WrestleMania 28. What happened after WrestleMania 28? John Cena never main-evented a WrestleMania again. Did you know that? After John Cena beat The Rock, he never main-evented a WrestleMania again. He won matches, but he never main-evented another WrestleMania. He went from being the guy that could deliver you a WrestleMania main event to never being invited back to that spot. That would have gotten under my tits, boy. That would have pissed me off if I was John Cena. After everything I gave you, after I've proved to you that you could put me in there with the big show, or Shawn Michaels or The Rock and I'm going to deliver a match. I'm never getting a WrestleMania main event again. Never again. 30 Bray Wyatt, 31 Rusev, 32 surprise appearance in The Rock's corner. I mean it's 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 insane. And 34 The match that everybody's waiting for WrestleMania 34 Undertaker versus John Cena. John Cena lost in a minute and a half. And do you know why? Here's my theory on the John Cena losing to the Undertaker in a minute and a half. If you and I came to this theory watching the last ride and nobody has ever said anything about it. And it has never been confirmed, but this is my own Sam Roberts wrestling conspiracy theory. If you watch the last ride, after his match with Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 33, The Undertaker, or his match with Roman, was 32. No, no, Roman was 33. Right. It was Brock at 30, yeah, it was Brock at 30, then it was Bray at 31, it was Shane at 32, it was Roman at 33, yes, After his match with Roman at 33, The Undertaker's confidence was completely shaken. The Undertaker looked like he was a shell of himself in that docuseries. The Undertaker was planning on having his last match be against Roman Reigns. He left his boots in the ring and it destroyed him. It destroyed him that he went out on such a bad match. I believe, here's the thing. When you want somebody to be playing at their best. Sometimes they need a victory under their belt. Sometimes you need to remind an athlete not only that they can win, but how well they can win. And I truly believe that at some point they said, we need to boost The Undertaker's confidence. We need to give The Undertaker a performance at WrestleMania that will make The Undertaker go, Oh, man, I barely scratched the surface. Oh, I could have done more. I believe that they wanted more Undertaker matches. I believe that they knew the Undertaker had more in the tank. He just needed to get there psychologically. And so I believe that that whole story was done so that John Cena could be the ultimate sacrificial lamb to the Undertaker. And it's not a storyline. It's just so the Undertaker can get back there and perform and do more actual good matches. And I believe that John Cena sacrificed himself for that. And that is a tremendous sacrifice, okay? John Cena gains nothing. John Cena gained absolutely nothing from losing like that. The Undertaker gained everything. And maybe that was going back to when John Cena was a a rookie and that the Undertaker shaking his hand both on screen and off screen did a lot for him. And John Cena felt a sense of loyalty. Maybe John Cena realized that it would truly be best for the company if the Undertaker was in a better frame of mind and he felt like he could be of service. But even if I was totally wrong and that's not why it happened, for whatever reason, John Cena came back after everything he'd done and lost to the Undertaker in a minute. In a minute. When it was time to make Roman Reigns the guy, they were like, yeah, we had him beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania. But he really has to be the top guy, John. And people still look at you as the top guy. John said, cool. And he went out there and he lost to Roman Reigns. When it was time to to figure out what to do with Bray Wyatt and the, and there was a a, a, a pandemic and... Bray Wyatt had lost steam because he had lost the championship to Bill Goldberg for some reason. John Cena not only let Bray Wyatt beat him, but absolutely let him psychologically dismantle him on TV. A lot of these superstars care very deeply about the narratives that they've created and the characters that they've created. John Cena allowed a scenario where Bray Wyatt was able to make a mockery of the entire career that John Cena had crafted live at WrestleMania for everybody to see. A lot of top guys would never, ever allow that to happen. How about Brock Lesnar? How about when it was time when they were like, we need to make Brock Lesnar the guy. John, we need you to make Brock Lesnar the guy. What did John Cena go out there and do? Not the first Lesnar match, the second one, the SummerSlam match, where John Cena went out there and invented Suplex City. John Cena just ate suplex after suplex after suplex after suplex after everything that Super Cena had done for the WWE. It was time for Brock Lesnar to go out there and just kick the shit out of him. And that's what he did. A lot of top guys would have said, yeah, I'm not doing that. No, 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 no. I'm not going out there and looking weak. I'm trying to start a Hollywood career. I want to be able to come back here. Would The Rock have done that? I don't know. How about John Cena comes back last year? Let's Roman beat him again. Again! He comes back and let's Roman beat him. That's not what happened between Cena and The Rock. Cena could have come back and said, okay, now I'm The Rock, so I'm going to do to them what The Rock did to me. And instead, Cena's like, no. I'm just going to go out there and lose to these people. When he's not main eventing, he's doing the United States Open Challenge. He's, he's he's making guys like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn who are on NXT look credible. Can you imagine Roman Reigns making Carmelo Hayes look th- uh, credible? Can you imagine Roman Reigns making Cameron Grimes look credible? It wouldn't happen. That's a John Cena specialty. Look at the rivalries that John Cena had. You can't even pick who his true arch nemesis is. Randy Orton, Edge, The Rock. I mean, when you really break it down, when it comes to top guys, both for consistency and selflessness, nobody's higher on the list than John Cena. And guess what? He never even got to be cool. Ric Flair was cool the whole time he was a top guy. Hogan got to go Hollywood and be cool. Do you know how badly on a creative level, regardless of what he says, do you know how badly on a creative level John Cena probably wanted to go heel? Do you know how badly on a creative level John Cena wanted to be NWO John Cena? And he never did it. Why? Because the company needed him to keep being that baby face. Hey man, I need you to keep going out there and getting booed. You got it boss. Whatever you need. You kill to have somebody like John Cena working for you. If there is anybody that the WWE should be loyal to forever, it's John Cena. I mean, when you look At top guys. If you're making a top guy Mount Rushmore. You're looking at Hogan for sure. You're looking at Flair for sure. You're looking at John Cena. And then maybe to round out the four. Probably Bruno. You're probably looking at Bruno San Martino. Who just headlined Madison Square Garden after Madison Square Garden after Madison Square Garden. Anybody that's selling out arenas every month. For years. That's a top guy with consistency. And there ain't no slowing down. There ain't no missing pay-per-views. There ain't no missing live events. John Cena was at all of them. Bruno was at all of them. Flair was at all of them. Hogan was at all of them. I mean, those are your four. Those are your four top guys. And amongst those four. When you look at everything Cena did, continues to do, and the fact that he really has this history of putting the business first, it's hard to make the claim. I know, I know Ric Flair's the wheel and deal, and I know Hulk Hogan revolutionized everything for us. But when I just look at it all on paper in front of me, I have a really tough time saying John Cena is not. If there's one true goat, that one true goat. When it's all in front of me, I have a tough time saying John Cena is not the greatest of all time. But I'm interested in hearing what you think. If you agree, disagree, hit me, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. That's the email for the show, not Sam Wrestling at gmail.com. We got a couple of emails uh, over the last week or so. Uh, This one coming from Tyler. Uh, He says, uh, Sam, my name's Tyler. I know. Longtime listener, and I got a question for your podcast. What is your take on Earl Hebner? What a question. I believe he should be in the Hall of Fame, but no, he won't be because of what he did. Also, his rivalry with Triple H was pretty underestimated in my eyes. Look, uh, I think when you talk about goats, Earl Heppner is the greatest professional wrestling referee of all time. And I don't even think it's close. I think he's the most recognizable. You know, I think that at some point uh, he had plastic surgery to look just like Dave at the million dollar man's request. I mean, that's really right when he uh, gets into people's consciousness. Uh, The Ted DiBiase angle where Dave Heppner was the referee, Earl was the official. The twins, and they came out, and the storyline was that the evil referee was not the real Dave Hepner. That somebody had, had plastic, that million-dollar man had paid somebody to get plastic surgery, like Dave. I mean, it was just one of the greatest angles of all time. But you know, that's whatever it is. Nineteen, uh, I was what WrestleMania four, This was probably like nineteen eighty nine or so. So Earl in WWE you know, had another 10 years or more after that. And I, I think that Earl, he was the quintessential official. I think that he always towed the line, never putting himself over at the wrong points and everything. I just, Yeah, I, I would 100% agree. I think uh, when you're looking at the ultimate ringside crew, you know, we do the ultimate show on Peacock, me and Ryan Popola and Kaz and Matt Camp. I think if, if we were to put together the ultimate ringside crew, Howard Finkel is your ring announcer. Vince McMahon is play-by-play. Or maybe Michael Cole is play-by-play. I don't know. Vince McMahon is an icon at play-by-play. Bobby Heenan is your color commentator. And Earl Hepner is your referee. Can you imagine Michael Cole and Bobby Heenan? I think you got to go Vince, just for history's sake. But that'd be dope. I hope I answered your question, Tyler. Yeah, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Let's go to shiamo uh shiamo writes in hey sam what do you think is the bigger loss due to injury cm punk for aew or cody rhodes for wwe well i think that that's a bigger question i think that in terms of missed talent i believe that cody rhodes is the bigger loss i think that aew has a very big roster i think there's lots of people on the roster that uh want to, that, that people want to see have a brighter sh- spotlight shined on them. And I think that CM Punk, when he got injured, had already won the AEW championship. So it was almost, if you're going to get injured, it's like we had just closed the chapter. Cody Rhodes got injured just as we were ramping up. So I think timing wise, it hurts more to have Cody. Um However, I also think WWE will benefit more. Because I think that WWE just has experience with this, and the and the production of, of it of it and everything. I think that the comeback story of Cody Rhodes will be much bigger than the comeback story of CM Punk. Um, Fionn writes in or Finn F I O N N. Apparently, some spots in Ireland it's Finn, some spots it's Fionn. So if it's not Fionn, uh, feel free to correct me next time you email in. Uh, he's a regular. Email her into notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Um, who will win the All-Atlantic Championship at Forbidden Door, he asks. Uh When looking at the tournament, I pray that Pac wins the championship as he has yet to do something major in AEW other than his AEW title shot at Double or Nothing 2021. I also wouldn't mind if Malachi Black won uh, as he could use the title the way the fiend did in WWE to lure people towards him and then absolutely murder them. Um, Only one big question this week. I really liked your comparison last week of MJF being the new CM Punk and Punk becoming the new Cena. Okay. Well, let me look uh, so I don't space. The All-Atlantic Championship is a weird one because uh, I guess it's... I don't know why AEW is adding a title. They have a lot of titles after they inherited all the uh, Ring of Honor championships. Um, let's see the Atlantic Championship is an upcoming professional wrestling championship created and promoted um, be the secondary championship for male wrestlers <laughs> despite its name seemingly centering around countries around the Atlantic it was created to represent AEW's fans from all around the world yeah that's the thing right it's like there's like uh, Japanese and there, there's all kinds of representation. Uh, for this title, like you know, the 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 countries of origin are very important when it comes to this title, apparently. Um, but a lot of these countries of origin are not uh, on the Atlantic. <laughs> the Atlantic is an ocean. You know, there's other oceans. There's Pacific Ocean, Indian Ocean. You know, Arctic Ocean. Nobody's from the Arctic, but. Yeah, not everybody on in this tournament is actually from the Atlantic. But that said, uh, we've got a f- fatal four-way coming to Forbidden Door uh, at the end of the month. Pac qualified over Buddy Matthews uh, this week. Then uh, we got two guys from New Japan that are going to be in it. Uh, then you've got uh, Penta versus Malachi. And then you got Ethan Page versus Miro. Um, I would like to see... Miro and Malachi advance. Um, you know, look, I think to me, I I and I don't know who's gonna be participating in it from New Japan, but uh, for me, I wouldn't want Malachi Black to win because I don't want him to have a secondary title. I mean, I, I think Malachi Black is a potential AEW worlds champion. You know, I think Malachi should be hunting down Mox after Mox wins the title. I don't know why Malachi wouldn't have been in the Battle Royal. I don't know why most people were not in the Battle Royal. It would, it would seem to me that if you got a Battle Royal to determine uh, a number two contender, the number one contender being John Moxley, if you've got a rating system, you would just go number two through 21 and there's your Battle Royal. But I guess some of them decided to enter a tournament for a secondary title instead. I'd say, no, thank you. Let me jump in that Battle Royal. Um... Yeah, look, I, I honestly, I would kind of like to see Miro in it. You know, I don't, I don't think that Miro's TNT title run was all that impressive. Uh, I don't think Miro has uh, even remotely reached his potential in AEW. He hasn't done much, in my opinion. So, and I'm a fan of his. So, I, I think, you know, I, I don't think anybody gets it twisted. You know, I don't think I can't imagine somebody not thinking Pac is the man. Like I can't imagine somebody not being impressed by Pac, Malik. So I don't think he needs a title. Malachi, I want to see him going for the AEW Championship. I don't know he's going to be there for New Japan. So I would say Miro is probably the person that I would want to win the All Atlantic Championship, just because it would be like here is what we're doing with Miro, and I think that would be a very good thing. Uh, I think uh, all of you and uh, can do very good things like sending emails to not Sam Wrestling at gmail.com and and being a part of this show. If you've got any questions that you want answered next week as part of episode 400, as a matter of fact, if you're still listening, uh, feel free to email me. I'd love to hear from you. If you could email me uh, your memories of the show, like maybe when you started listening, uh, one of the first things that you heard on the show that you liked, maybe your favorite moment from the show, Uh, It's crazy that we've been on for the last 400 weeks. Isn't that like eight years or something like that? Jesus Christ. What a time. Episode 400 next week. Email notsamwrestling at gmail.com with your memories from the last 400 weeks. Wow. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Read, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam.